Hello and welcome to episode one of Her Majesty's Tech Podcast. Still working title. Isn't this episode two? No, no, no. Episode the the intro was episode episode zero. This ah, is episode one. Okay. So cool. this is the second episode, but it's definitely not episode two. Okay. Episode one, the second episode makes sense. Let's do it. Yeah, and it's also very much still a working title. I, I refuse to <laughs> acknowledge this as final title for the podcast. I mean, like for for the last one that I started, we had like a long list, and then we were narrowing down it to like our favorites. And this time, we literally went with the first one that didn't sound like complete shit. Yeah. I like that though. Uh, uh, we haven't heard any complaints yet uh, from our uh, vast fan base, so yeah, I think I'm that's sure fine. it's just going to be the home office raiding my flat and deporting me for misusing Her Majesty's and yeah, something. Yeah. You're still in the EU though <sighs> for a while. Fuck, man, this stuff is too depressing. Uh, yeah, let, let, <clears throat> let let's skip this and talk about happier things like iPads. So, <laughs> so you just told me you want to use an iPad Pro. Yes, please elaborate. So I have an iPad Pro. But I want, I want the new one. Uh, I want to use an iPad Pro as my main device and not have a laptop. And this is, and especially now because it, like, the full one, like, the full-blown thing costs, like, $2,200. It's insane. It costs, like, an iMac, it costs, like, a Mac Pro, iMac Pro. Or, no, MacBook Pro. Yeah. So, it costs, like, a real, like, high-end pro laptop, and I want to use it as one. Uh, it's not there yet. Um, but I don't know. I was in the Apple store recently. I tested the keyboard cover and the new one is insane. Like it is, the keyboard is probably better than the MacBook. It has slightly more travel and it feels nice. It's full size and everything. And the display is amazing. I mean, the bar is fucking low when it comes to keyboards being better than the MacBook pro keyboard is not an achievement. No, but if that's the laptop I'm comparing it to, then like, (laughs) that's fine. Um, and I don't know. The screen is great. The performance on this new thing is crazy. Like on Geekbench, it's scoring the same um, as a, a MacBook quick, Pro. Quick, um, no, there's fireworks behind you, so I'm pretty sure that we'll make it onto the recording. Great they, timing, as yeah. always. They don't sound that much. It's, it's pretty though. It's yeah. pretty. No, so I definitely want to use an iPad as my only device, but and I can for the most part, like browsing the web or writing notes or writing documents, watching movies, like whatever. Like, I could do that on an iPad, but I still can't really code on it. Yeah. And and then here's something where I think, like, partly that's the fault of Apple. Like, they won't actually let you even run a compiler on these things. Like, you can't compile code and run it. That's against their rules. So, <sighs> yeah. But you could do other things. Like, I could see, like, a really, really nice web development environment. But, yeah, just what I was about to say, JavaScript is the explicit exception from that rule, right? Right. Uh, and I think they have allowed like Lua and stuff for games in the past. So like, well, a lot of games use Lua. So I think they, yeah. they're, they're like, but fine. certainly not Lua JIT. No, no, you aren't allowed to JIT it, but you're allowed to interpret code like in the, in the abstract sense. But yeah, it limits you to what kind of languages you can run. But that, that said, as WebAssembly gets bigger, that might not be an issue. I was about to just ask you about this. Yeah, WebAssembly could be super interesting. Do you know what Apple's current stance on that is? Yeah, that should be fine. Are they, are they actually working on uh, direct WebAssembly support in Safari? So Safari has WebAssembly support, as far as I know. Okay. I think every major browser has WebAssembly support. Okay. That said, mobile Safari might not. And even more so, like, the mobile Safari that's embedded in apps, the, like, web view, 
is oftentimes like one version behind or something. Like it, it doesn't have the same capabilities. Yeah, always. and it's not like WebAssembly support equals WebAssembly support. There are very many different yeah, but APIs I mean, that come say, together. Say, say you went heads down with a team today and built a really nice development environment for the iPad. Once that's done in two years, I, I'm sure it will be there. It's yeah. fine. Um, so, so I could definitely see that. But somebody needs to really build this environment. Oh, yeah. It also just... It kind of annoys me that you have this incredibly powerful machine, which is the iPad Pro, and there is absolutely no application at this point leveraging this. No, to, the only to, thing is like extent. Photoshop that will at some point in 2019, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing is like you could technically like compile loads of code on this, but it won't let you. Um, yeah. So, okay. Um, uh, I do this, or we, we do this weekly presentation in, inside Facebook where we just get together on a Friday and talk about Android news. And I did this last Friday, and one of the things that came up during my research for, for the presentation was, uh, I think it's Linux on Dex. Or Dex uh, I don't actually know what this is. Yeah, do you know what Dex Samsung is? the Samsung thing, right? Wow, okay. So you actually know. I, yeah. I, I had never heard about Dex before, and it's no, kind of fun. They've had this for like five years or something. Right, but now they seem to actually mean it because there is a limited signer, which I think is open till uh, some point in December for, for beta for this. And well, so... I, I still don't actually know what DEX is. Do, do you know this? Yeah, it's their... I think it stands for Desktop Experience. Oh, So it's shit. like... You, okay. Well, like, don't quote me on that, but like, uh, that's a guess. But you right. plug in your phone and you get a desktop environment. Do you know this entire landing page is kind of focused around, you all love DEX. You, you certainly know what DEX is and, and love to use it. It's kind of oh, yeah, I mean, like, nobody... I've never heard of anybody actually use it. It's ever. a bit like the plumbers from Rick and Morty. It's like, everyone uses it. Everyone has one in their kitchen. Everyone loves to use their plumbers. So we don't need to explain this to anyone yeah. at all. And yeah, okay, so they went on with it. But the idea is you have your phone or your device, your Samsung device, you plug in your presumably USB-C cable, uh, use a connector to HDMI, plug in some, some keyboard shit, and then you can use this as a full Ubuntu development environment. And they actually use development as um, an example for this. So they mentioned Git, uh, have some text editors open. They don't mention Android Studio for po- probably good reasons, but... I mean, Android Studio barely runs on my iMac Pro, so, <laughs> you know... <laughs> exactly. But if you were to write some JavaScript there, some some web development or even, I don't know, Node.js stuff, uh, I could totally see that working. Yeah, I mean, I like this idea. I mean, I like the idea of... I like the idea of an iPad Pro more than hooking up my phone because hooking up my phone, then it's like, okay, then, I mean, I can't do that unless I have an external display. I'm not going to be running around the city with an external display in my pocket. Like the iPad makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I think they envision this as some sort of internet cafe model where just every coffee shop has your your Dex modules where you just plug in. Yeah, or like, oh, you're like, uh, this like business person and you're at your desk only one hour a day yeah. and where you need to like type a lot of emails and then you plug it in and do that. I don't know. Like the iPad model just makes a lot of more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. But I, I don't know. I was never really all that big on it. It sounded like a nice gimmick, but when you think of the A12 and just the sheer power that is in, in this device. Well, and It's literally geek benching at a, like a MacBook Pro 15 inch level. Like it's insane. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how this compares in 
So, I, I mean, at some point, you, you need to take heat dissipation and, and this into account. And for longer sustained periods of running at the highest CPU levels, I'm, I'm not really sure what would happen. It needs oh, to be Oh, yeah, but in general, you're not going to run your CPU at 100% for like a long time. Have you, have you actually worked at Facebook, Emil? No, I mean, I don't see Facebookers <laughs> running at iPad Pros, but um, yeah. There, I mean, there is something. I, I don't know. I think. I think a great development environment could be created for an iPad Pro. And if it were, and it fit my niche, say, like, I think one for web development could easily be made, then then I would run that just. I don't see a reason to have anything else. It has, what, like a 13-inch screen, like 12.9-inch screen, and it looks yeah. gorgeous. And it has 10, 12 hours of battery life, and the keyboard is amazing. Like, I tried, like, I went to the Apple Store and, like, coded on the keyboard like try to write if statements kind of you know like mock mock coding a bit and it works equally you, you do realize that apple not owns the code you wrote there right i hope no, this wasn't a, for your startup as a great great if statement um no but it, it works nicely it works as well as a as a macbook and like a problem with these keyboard cases have always been that they're super flimsy so you can't actually have them on your lap that's not the case. Like this thing is rigid. I could hold in the bottom of the case and like I could shake this thing. Right. And it didn't like th- those magnets are strong. It's cool. I, I like I want to be in a world where I use that. That said, like you have the surf surface pros, no? Are they the tablet laptop thingy yeah, as well? I think so. They're I'm not really sure popular. if the surface itself without the pro label isn't the same thing, but Yeah, and then there's surface books, but that's the Yeah, other I think one. that's that's a full laptop. Yeah, okay. No, but the Surface or the Surface Pro or whatever, that one is basically the same, but it's three times as thick and has like Intel CPUs. It's less, it's three times as thick, has fans and is less powerful. So yeah. I don't, yeah, but, but it has Windows. Um, I don't know. That one's super popular. So Apple's now made one that's much sleeker and much more powerful for like, I don't know, probably somewhat more expensive as well. But the problem is iOS. Like iOS is is not a productive operating system. Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned this because when the Nexus 10 came out, one of the things I would do with it, and I think I even did maybe like two, until like two years ago, I would take this to conferences, uh, bring a Bluetooth keyboard with me and use Vim on the, on the Nexus 10. So there is an Android version and use this to take notes. It's actually really good. It's like you can, I mean, it's it's not an environment you can uh, code on for sufficiently long times because you don't have a stand or anything with it. I'm, I'm sure there are like external cases that do the same thing. But it's actually kind of nice. You can just scroll around in your notes uh, even without having the keyboard attached. And if you use a Bluetooth keyboard, there are so many options out there. I just use an Apple one, actually, to the dismay of the other conference attendees at Android conferences. But yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah I mean, I believe... So people are saying like Apple needs to release a uh, ARM MacBook or whatever, an ARM computer. Part of me thinks they've already done so. Like this is the iPad Pro. They've already done it. Like they've already switched to ARM. We just didn't see it. And they'll just like sunset Mac OS at some point. And that's the Intel version. Part of me, part, I mean, part of me thinks this, part of me doesn't think this, but especially with the iPad Pro having external 5K display support, like, and that 
also the iPad Pros in the Apple Store, something like 80% of them have keyboard cases on them. Like this is meant to be used with a keyboard. Yeah. Um, this is their new laptop. They wanted, like, they still need to do a lot of work on iOS to get it to a point where it's nice. But, but I, I think they can do it. Uh, I, I think this might be their ARM laptop that they've been pushing for. It might not be, but, but I, I think it might be as well. All right. So if you had this iPad with full development support, what would you actually write on it? Tell me a bit about your. I know you can't talk about the actual product that you're working on, but maybe talk a bit about your technology stack. I'm actually quite curious what you use. I mean, we're right now, I'm writing mostly iOS and Android. So okay. that I probably can do well. But I mean, I could see like, you could probably, you could of course always have like, you just remote into a larger computer, but that feels such a waste of the power of an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the web stack is just like TypeScript. That's basically it. <laughs> uh, like TypeScript on Node. Um Okay, let me know. just ask, uh, TypeScript versus Flow, why, why did you go with TypeScript? Uh, it's just better. Like, there's there's not even a competition there. Yeah. Like, Flow was made at Facebook to incrementally be adopted, and that has sacrifices. Like, TypeScript is much harder to incrementally adopt, but if you're writing something from scratch, then who cares? Interesting, because there was this, this conversion point, or maybe even inflection point, Flow, right from the start, make the decision to make nullity a dominant feature in their type system. Yeah. And I think in TypeScript, it was still implicit. So like every object, every even primitive type could be, no, could be nulled. No, 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 no. You have to, like, uh, there is no such thing as a nullable in TypeScript, really. It's a union type between undefined or null but wasn't that a breaking change they've introduced at some point maybe i just recently started using it so i don't know about the history but i i remember looking at it in the beginning i was really disappointed that uh they didn't address null at all in the type Mm. system and now it is and now if i were to start a new project i would also just definitely it also helps that like looking in the community like npm packages like basically every npm package you would ever want to use has typescript bindings flow probably doesn't like you can't force the community to adopt something no. and it makes such a difference especially if you want yeah. to build on top of open source right. libraries I, I saw a statistic that more than 50 percent of npm at this point is typescript or at least has type definition so it's it's clearly yeah and typescript is use. such a good language as well and like looking at it as type definitions for javascript i think is wrong like that that is what flow is flow is type definitions for javascript but TypeScript is a full language uh, that <sighs> uses the JavaScript runtime, yeah. which is the major difference. Like with Flow, you have to have like, okay, first you have Babel with these 10 transforms and then you have Flow, which, and then you have a Babel transform that just removes Flow. TypeScript, no Babel. It just does the whole thing. It's a, it's a language of itself. It has all the features you want. You don't need to Babelify a bunch of features. It's really nice. You just have the TypeScript compiler and yeah, it uses like JavaScript as a runtime, but that's like an implementation detail. Um, it's a language of its own, and that that makes it a lot nicer to work with than Flow and Babel as well. There's just less stuff to configure. Yeah, I mean, t- to be quite honest, to me, TypeScript is still lipstick on a pig, and still JavaScript underneath. I don't know. I like. I do not agree with that. Like TypeScript has, if you haven't used it recently, like use it. It is phenomenal. I mean, PureScript is a phenomenal language, and I don't know. 
higher kind of types of bust. That's, yeah. that's my bar for saying this this might actually be a decent language everything <laughs> that doesn't to me yeah i've been i've been very happy with typescript and i really like i mean the reason i like typescript so much i think is that it has the best mixture of uh pragmaticness and and like um what, what i like academicness like the type system itself was developed by people with like an academic background that know their shit and like it was designed from the ground up, but because it's use cases were all defined by pragmatic use cases, like what was already in JavaScript, this has like the best mix where it's like they had to support stuff that was done in JavaScript, which was already being done, which is like what people wanted to do. Right. So it's like no other type. Well, very few other type systems will support things like typing like string keys on maps, but nope, TypeScript does, and they have good support for that. Uh, yeah, one of the mo- most frustrating parts about using Flow in some some cases is when you use those. A lot of the type definitions are kind of incomplete. Yes, and then you have something like a some sort of functional programming library and that's actually a terrible term but you know what i mean some yeah. some sort of immutable data structures and operations on them and then for instance you have a map function on them yeah and there are half-baked definitions that know about the map function but they actually lose the type information so the result of the map function is actually not passed forward to the next function you can invoke on them and at this point it's either any or it's it's the wrong result and then you have to put something in your code which is like flow fix me to say yeah just ignore the yeah. result i, I mean, actually the, know what comes out of this so like this is the thing that i like while at facebook i would go to the flow team and i'm like hey like this doesn't work like i have flow fix me's everywhere yeah but especially when it comes to third-party libraries that's that's not their fault no 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 this was built-in stuff okay built-in stuff like fill i was filter and map on like array like the array prototype like literally what's built into the language and i would tell them like well i'm using typescript uh like typescript is basically the gist of was it i was like typescript is more type safe and they're like no it isn't i'm like well yes it is because i need to have flow fix me's all over my code so by definition i introduce a bunch of bugs that way even though like flow might technically be more type sound in some way because it has all these bugs i just throw in flow fix me's everywhere and it becomes less type safe i'm actually really tempted right now to google is the typescript type system sound because i'm not sure if it is or if it even i think this is what the flow team keeps saying that there is is and typescript isn't I but think that in, might very well be the case. But in practice, it doesn't matter if I, if the flow system has so many bugs that I need to put fix me's and any's everywhere, then it becomes in practice less sound. Um, but basically... There's so, definitely less value that you get out of type safety if that's the case. Yeah. yeah, so I think there was one thing where I had an array of nullables and I tried to filter out the non-null values. Seems very typical. But no, the filter definition didn't, like didn't handle this so i did like dot filter where x is not null and the result was still a nullable array oh i see yeah yeah but filter if you have a list of booleans it can filter out those that are true 
So this is because like Flow has hard coded a definition for filter with booleans, but doesn't handle anything else, which is stupid. Huh. Uh, this this case just was handled automatically in TypeScript, like whatever. Um, I I just I just don't even like the idea of having types themselves being nullable. I just don't want null in my type system. It just makes everything worse. Why don't you just have an optional maybe type? Then it's pretty clear. Yeah. You either have something that is wrapped inside this this yeah. this functor or you don't you unwrap it yeah yeah and that's that's more or less how typescript does it in a way yeah i should take another look at typescript um i know a lot of people are quite happy uh with using it i have actually used it in combination with pure script ones i wrote this google home action integration and i wrote like a shell in typescript for using the existing Google uh, SDK that they provided and then just basically had this imperative shell and my functional core where all the actual logic was handled but in pure script. So I could, I could stay sane while parsing all my, my options, even making my network requests, making sure that the effects are properly annotated and then feed it back into the, the TypeScript layer on the outside, which meant I didn't have to like reinvent the wheel when it comes to interfacing with the actual Google APIs. Yeah. No, so the rest of our stack is basically, uh, we use a lot of React. Yeah. Shocker. That's basically it. Okay. I've heard you use now, or no, wait, is it now? Yeah, is it now. Zite? No. Now by Zite. Zite is the company. Now yeah. is the okay. product. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we use now for deployments. It's pretty nice. Um, so what does it actually offer? To me, it's not entirely clear what what. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> Guillermo might not like me saying this, but they're basically uh, a wrapper around AWS uh, or like Amazon Lambdas. Can you compare this to Heroku? Uh, yeah, in a way, it's very similar. Like, let's say Heroku is a wraparound uh, EC2. Yeah. Now is a wraparound Lambda. Like, uh, okay, okay. basically. Yeah. Like, Heroku made, makes it dead simple to deploy your code, and they, they really just run on Amazon AWS on EC2s. Yeah. And, and I'm sure this now, is not entirely accurate, but it's a nice mental model to think yeah, about. Yeah, and now basically does the same thing, but they run on Amazon Lambdas. They also run on like Google's function platform, thing. Yeah. They're like function as a service, whatever they, it's called. They do have two, I believe. So there's Firebase functions and there is Google Cloud Platform functions okay. or Cloud functions. Yeah, so they something. run on one of those but uh, and, and Lambdas. So th that's the way to think of it. It's like the same way Heroku is a nice interface to EC2. This is a nice interface to Lambdas. Yeah, it works really the, well. How does the billing work there? Uh, it's, they just changed it like two days ago. So okay. I don't know right now. Oh, you start with the 2.0 release. That yeah, changed they changed year. the billing. I haven't even had a look at it yet. But the way it used to work is basically you get it's free for infinite number of deployments, but you can only have like one instance running at once. Okay. And one instance means like a deployment that is live. The way this like s serverless thing works, right, is they take a deployment and they... Does deployment deploy mean it. function as well? So can you only have one function per account then? Y yeah. Well, like this is the thing, like you can have one function as a, a, like... A, the way a serverless is a function that can consist of multiple JavaScript functions that call each other, of course. But right, it's but it's, is it one endpoint? Yeah, one endpoint. Okay, yeah. So w one deployment is one endpoint, and then you can have infinite deployments because deployment is just a row in a database. An instance is when somebody requests that deployment, basically, and they spin it up on a server. Right. 
Uh, and then they spin that down. Well, I mean, then at the end, at that point, it's just like Amazon doing shit uh, or or Google. But um, I reckon there is also ways for uh, there are ways for hosting stuff on S three or some some static stuff too, right? No, well, I don't think so. Oh, well, they probably will at some point, right? Oh, okay, okay. But they don't have databases support. They don't have any of that. Like their go to is like. Well, if you want a database, just use like Mongo's hosted version or something and just make a call to that. Like use that as a separate service. Like we're not running it. Okay, fair enough. That might change. Like who knows? Like they're start they're still like semi small. Yeah. So they're still starting out. And I guess it would make sense for them to expand to expand this at some point, like Heroku did, where you can then have paid add-ons for post Yeah, so I mean I see this I, I mean I see this as basically Heroku for serverless yeah uh in a way and it's really nice like um you don't need to do much you sign up for an account they have a great command line interface you just run now and your stuff is deployed you get a url they can handle domains for you as well you can buy domains through them i don't do this because i i have all my domains in one place where where? uh namecheap okay uh, as long as it's not GoDaddy, then no, it's Namecheap. I love Namecheap. It's like it's not oh, the man. it's not the sexiest site, but it works really well. It's so bad. Every now and then, when you get like off the the main path on the website, you stumble into this old a- ASPX world, and everything looks like from the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's horrible. They have like well, they've mainly migrated to their new UI now. I know. Yeah. So it's but fine. But I, they also still- have like a good mobile app, like. Okay, I've never tried that one, but I still migrated away at some point because this interface looked so dodgy. I just couldn't trust them with my crown like, jewels. So the thing is, like, I'd l- no, I, I'm quite happy with them. I wouldn't mind migrating to something fancy, but also, like, it feels like a pain to migrate domains. It's actually quite simple. So I moved most of my stuff to Google domains, and I'm, like, in two minds about this because I do trust Google, but having everything at Google is, like putting all your eggs in one basket. It's not a great idea. If for whatever fucking reason they would ever close or lock down my Google account, Jesus Christ, my my online identity would be over. You've heard about these crazy situations where it's like you spam somebody on your Gmail and they lock down everything. And it's like, you're fucked. I'm very careful to uh, maintain my friendships with people at Google (laughs) to make sure I have some sort of backdoor into this. But it is kind of scary. Everything, my, my entire online identity uh, relies so much on Google. If anything would ever happen to my account there, oh, oh God. No, so I'm quite happy with Namecheap, but... Uh, Cloud, Cloudflare, can... they, they offer very cheap domains now too. And, oh, I'd uh, love to use Cloudflare. Yeah, Cloudflare actually. is a company, I don't know, they, they filled up some trust with me at least. They're good, yeah. they're good. Um, so anyways, now can manage your domains, but they can also just be a DNS name server. Right. So now they manage my domain, domains that I have bought at Namecheap. So that's pretty cool. Um, and at that point, you can just like, you can publish everything through now and then like uh, point the DNS to that easily. I'm very happy with it. I know some of the people working there as well, so that makes it easier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's, that's how it looks now, but we're still like in such early stages that at this point we're just like, fucking around a bit like we're, we don't know what we're doing so do you use the database at all right now for anything we, we some do we do my co-founder set it up so i'm not sure what we use i think we use <laughs> i think we use mongo okay uh, yeah i think we use mongo 
basically, I think it's called MongoDB Atlas. It's their hosted thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cheap, comes with like a nice web UI to it. Mongo's not my favorite database, but how it works. I think they're probably okay at this point. They've definitely grown in my appreciation since they've funded Jepson in testing their database and doing the right things. In the beginning, it was a fucking shit show, and I still do not like how they got to the place they are right now. But, well, if you look around in, in big tech companies, including Microsoft, a lot of them have an interesting, a similarly interesting backstory. Yeah, I don't know. I... I, I... I quite like Mongo. There's some other alternatives. I can't remember all their names now. But the thing is, like, a lot of them are like, oh, we're a tiny startup that started last year. And you're like, do I really want my data with you? Uh, Or do I want it with this big publicly traded company? Yeah, I don't really... I'd rather go with a big publicly traded company. I don't follow this all that closely anymore. I used to work uh, on on backend systems, and then that was pretty dear to my heart. But at this point... I don't really spend much time there anymore. I really liked RethinkDB back in the days. The, the people okay. behind them were super smart, but probably too nice, especially when you compare this to MongoDB. They had clearly the superior product, but ultimately MongoDB with a shitty database back then just ate up all their customers. Uh, yeah, it's hard to see this. Well, yeah, business isn't just building cool tech yeah yeah that was a pretty clear case of this it's not open source i think it's an apache project so i'm sure some people will look after it but i i do understand how you kind of want a a company behind this if you put your business on top of yeah oh yeah definitely and like as i said there are good like there are nice database providers especially ones where you can like choose exactly what database you want you can spin up multiple instances they they figure out the clustering and everything for you like that's a great service, but yeah. but the thing is, like, if I'm choosing between Mongo and like a six month old startup, I don't know, like, especially when it comes to databases. Yeah. yeah, like, do I want to be migrating my data a year from now? No, I I I'd rather just use Mongo. Oh man, I did this once. Um, I was freelancing for, I don't even know how to like a public organization, but a management product for the customer data and nothing really interesting in itself but i built this on the early versions of oh man the name escapes me the google product they had which was fairly similar to heroku oh what do you remember this engine yes thank you thank you Engine. yes (laughs) i mean in some in some ways it was like super limited they had their own api which you had to use for everything and they had a database which was modeled after big table but wasn't really this thing and then they completely changed their pricing. And the entire product was basically built around one big search interface where you could look after your members, send them messages, update their payment information and all of this. And the I basically needed a full index of everything. And I just did some back of the envelope calculations. And it turned out that from, I don't know, five euros back then per month, I would go to something like 500, which was completely out of the range for the budget <laughs> that this organization had. So yeah, I had to migrate everything off of App Engine from the weird proprietary database system, which wasn't even strictly schema-based, and then went with, well, Postgres, because what else would you choose? Yeah. It wasn't fun, but it worked out so okay. So on this topic, parse. 
Oh God. Yeah. Did you ever use it? I used it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I was super happy with it. Is there anything out there to, is Firebase like Parse? Like I haven't used Firebase. Is there anything that's like Parse there today? I think it's probably the closest comparable product to it, I would assume. But have you used it? Yeah, I have used it for some things, in, including this Google action that I've built. Uh, in this case, it's mostly based around a function, but there's also a database layer, which I've used for something else, which I can't even there's remember. There's like Firestore, right, right? Yes. I mean, Firebase, the original Firebase was the database, and then they reused this brand for the entire I don't know what you would call this. It sounds it is a bit like the mobile layer for an application or the the backend layer for a mobile application. Yeah, I mean, the Parse called themselves a backend as a service, and I think like so. I think that matches that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But at this point, it's so broad, and even some of the Play Store features kind of fall under the Firebase umbrella. I'm pretty sure they're basically just shipping the org chart there. There isn't a particularly brand-specific reason for calling certain features Firebase features. It just happened to be under that particular part of the Google organization, or Android, rather. Yeah, I mean, I loved Fire... I loved Parse. But, yeah, I'm wondering if there's space for a new Parse. Or if Firebase is just the new Parse. I think it will be very hard to compete with Firebase. It's so in your face, especially when you work with Android applications. Of course, on iOS, the story is a bit different. They can't really use the backdoor of having a big Firebase-colored button in your IDE, as they have on Android. Oh, they have that in Android Studio? At least it's super easy to integrate. They have like wizards where you just enter... No, I don't think you need to even enter any credentials can easily just log in with your Google account into Android Studio, and then it will just generate certificates and Wait, really? public private keys for you and put them into your application. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, Crashlytics or um, Fabric back then had a very similar system. I mean, it's still Fabric, right? Yes. But, oh man, <laughs> I don't really know where the delineation between Fabric and Firebase is these days after the Google acquisition. Yeah, it's... It's weird. But the thing I'm thinking is like, so back to kind of like, what what if I could code most of this on an iPad? What I'm thinking is like, you want this kind of like full service because the iPad's operating system doesn't lend itself to communicating a lot between apps. You kind of want this, you kind of want Android Studio for an iPad. Like, you you want to be able to do everything in there. You wanted to have, like, a terminal. You wanted to have, like, uh, a finder. You wanted to have, like... You wanted to have everything uh, for you to be productive on it, I think. So do you really want to have all of this as part of one big application, or would you rather have separate things for your terminal? Well, that's the thing, like... Apps can't communicate with each other very well on iOS, so you would probably want it as the same app. Can you just fix the communication problem? I mean, you, no. Apple can, but I can't. Yeah, I mean, that's what right? I mean. Right, so like in the current space, it it would have to be solved by the app developer, and that would be like building an IDE. And uh, because you can't really compile code or something like that on on an iPad, or I don't think Apple allows it. That would probably be a full-fledged web ID. So think 
Dreamweaver, but but modern and for the iPad. Going all the way back now to Dreamweaver. I never used Dreamweaver or like once maybe, but I don't know. I I, I would love uh, an iPad app that is a full on, like say TypeScript editor and can deploy instances to save via now or some something like that. And I can develop sites and apps directly on my iPad. That would be killer. I mean, what's actually missing for doing these major parts of this right now? If you took oh no, they, if you they, take Visual Studio vi- Visual Studio Code, which is just an Electron app, yeah, you'd probably compile this to WebAssembly, including the plugins. Well, what what does WebAssembly have to do with it? Just because you have like one common layer, which you could reasonably. Well, you the step one would probably be to build an electron for iPad, which is mostly around bind, around like bindings to the system. Like this wouldn't be this would probably be like not a huge project. Like because electron has been built for, they these bindings have been built. There is a binding layer, so you just implement the bindings. I'm not saying it's a day, but it's probably like less than six months and you have Electron for iPad. Maybe somebody's even already done it. And at that point, you can run Visual Studio Code. Yeah, but I mean, you could potentially even run it in the browser. So yeah, somebody's done this with, um, I keep forgetting his name, but he used to be an intern at Facebook and now he runs Code Sandbox, where he got Visual Studio running in the browser. And basically what he did was build these Electron bindings as far as I understand it, for the web. So we basically implemented the node bindings for the web. Can I just take a quick moment to point out how fucking ridiculous it is that I've mostly migrated away from using Vim to Visual Studio, even on Linux? It's it's pretty bonkers. VS Code is great. It's pretty good. and it, Like, I still hate the startup time because it's really? slower than Sublime. Okay, yeah, I mean, I still use NeoVim for for a bunch of small files that I just want to edit on the fly. But for my bigger projects, I normally open... uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, then it's fine, and then it's fast. Like, it's fast. There's no Adam. Adam was slow as snails. Oh, yeah. Um, So, but yeah, you could get VS Code running on an iPad. Like, you would have to do some stuff, but it could run there. You could pre-bundle a bunch of plugins if you wanted to even. Like, you could, like, make the UI simpler if you wanted to. Yeah, but that's the thing. You can't even use the existing plugin mechanism. Oh, yeah, you could use the existing plugin mechanism. But say, I don't know, if I built something for the iPad, I would, say, build a very specific IDE for building React projects with TypeScript or something. I would start very niche. And that would probably involve just, like, yeah, you bundle a specific, like, a very impinated version of vs code and uh have the ability to publish to say now and then have like i don't know some way to preview what you're doing as well and maybe talk to github i don't know this is very possible like you could spend a couple months to a year building like a really nice environment for doing web dev uh i'd like that i don't only do web dev so i probably wouldn't still go all in but I could see this fitting, suiting a lot of people. Yeah, but once you have something with the existing plugin infrastructure, you wouldn't be restricted necessarily to just doing JavaScript development. I also use this for for Haskell development. For oh yeah, and I could see this being a really like, I don't know, this could be a cool way to monetize it. 
you just put up like 20 editors for different environments and you sell a subscription to all of them. And you're like, cool, we're basically the only uh, like real like developer app on the yeah. app store. We have for every language and you subscribe to the ones you use. And by the way, as I say this, at least for Haskell, you normally still need to have at least a compiler running on the device. Do you? Can you just use an interpreter? Uh, I'd be quite happy with that. I mean, just just for getting stuff like autocompletion, the uh, the language service for this are normally written, written in Haskell too, and I don't think there is a great story for compiling this entire thing then to JavaScript or WebAssembly or anything like this. But I thought uh, Haskell had some interpreter. Um, well. But still, the the interpreter still is like a binary. Oh, so the thing is, you can run a binary on the iPad. You just can't compile it. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so you could ship the binary for an interpreter. That's fine. I'm not really sure where Apple draws the line there. But the, the, yeah, the, the, actually, I'm the not line sure. is you can't run, like, user code that isn't... I feel a bit silly because everyone shipped. listening to this could just, um, like, Google this while well, well, we're just pondering if this already exists but it might very well be the case that that oh no wait shit not now i remember that is actually like an interactive development environment for for haskell which is more like a le- learning environment yeah. which exists for for the ipad so i'm sure this has a version of ghc or something else which has been compiled for uh i oh. want to say darwin but it's it's um it's yeah that whatever version ios uses there yeah okay so yeah that that shouldn't be a problem then yeah, so I don't know. There's there's fun stuff to do. I can see an iPad being a main development environment for me down the line. And this is actually so like, I mean, this is something we can talk about. Like w- what I'm doing with my startup now is very different from what I'm initially doing. We pivoted away from doing a touch-based programming language, especially like targeted at iPads and iPhones. Yeah, to make it easier to write code on these devices, because this is a future that, I mean, I'm really excited about. And I, I mean, I just see more and more moving to mobile. Uh, more and more has been moving to mobile the past 20 years. So we're going to be coding on these things anytime now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking for an excuse to, to get an iPad, but I, I just really don't have one. So the thing is, I've had like five iPads and none of them I've used super heavily. But this last one, the last version of the iPad Pro, I use quite often, but not not nearly enough to justify the price. Yeah, I know I used my Nexus 10 for maybe like five years or something like this for reading in my bed mm. every night. But I've kind of, I'm, I'm trying to migrate towards physical books again. This is part of sleep hygiene. It's been working out fairly well, so I, I don't really need this anymore. And also, if you just read it for books, Kindle is far better reading experience. Exactly, yeah. How, how much is the iPad now? Is it like two grand? The iPad? Yeah, I mean, I would obviously get the top-of-the-line one yeah, if I want like to use this for future. Yeah. yeah, for future development environment. That's a bit much for a Kindle I mean, it replacement. It like a MacBook Pro. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about all the potential use cases for it, which might at least partially justify the price tag that it has now given the potential i mean the hardware potential is there the software's just like lacking and also the apps are lacking nobody's writing for the ipad this is why i'd love to write a programming environment for the ipad whether it's it's more along the lines which i was doing in the start of the startup before we pivoted which is more like visual programming and node based yeah or if it's more like text based like the ipad keyboard cover it's really good 
Like I could see myself typing on that. That's why I'm actually also kind of bullish on this because I'm easy to please when it comes to development environment. I know all the people like, how could she develop an, on a Linux system? You're missing out on so many apps. I use like three apps on any given day. I have my terminal, I have my web browser, and I have some editor. For the longest time, the editor was actually inside the terminal, inside my Tmux session, and was either Emacs or uh, NeoVim. So I had like two applications. This is not a lot to support for. Uh, so one thing I'm with. thinking, and this is just, I came up with this now because, I mean, I've, I've never had a um, desktop computer before, really. Well, not in like 10 years. But now I have my iMac and it's always on. Yeah. Can I just like get an I- iPad Pro? Like I've been thinking about updating my MacBook Pro because it's semi-slow. Uh, I mean, it's not... It's not worth an upgrade now, but can I just like into VNC it. into my iMac? Yeah, sure. Well, Why you not? say that like, obviously, like it's not possible on an iPad with enough performance. I'm pretty sure. I don't I don't see why, why you wouldn't. I mean, you can use all sorts of video gaming streaming services on your iPad. That's true. And that seems to have a higher bar than typing some stuff and running commands. Yeah, I mean, the big problem there is there's no cursor on the iPad. I, w- I just wanted to say, yeah, the, the input is the problem. You the just- keyboard is great. The keyboard works fine, but I would have to navigate with touch and keyboard on something that's made for a mouse. Yeah. I get, oh, this is, oh, this is where they're going with marzipan, you know, with all the new interfaces they've added, which look absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion, on um, Mojave. I mean, they don't look ridiculous, but they also don't, like, they, they don't feel look, ridiculous. They don't look great. Um, the worst part to me is they're laggy. Like, yeah. have you tried? Like, window resizing is painfully slow. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't exist on a tablet. Right. But have you just opened the App Store? This is the part I don't understand. It takes ages. You know, so I don't think the App Store is, Maha- is Marzipan. Are you sure? I'm not sure. Okay. But they did. They 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 were very explicit that the other apps, the four like very basic apps, were cross compiled. They did not say that a single time about the app store. They just said okay. this is a new look. So oh, from okay. what I know, that's pro- the app store has always been kind of shitty on Mac. It's actually like the Mojave one is better than ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's actually pretty nice now. Once it wasn't loads, it just an but- iTunes spinoff or something, the original one. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it, was, it's, it's, it really it's, wasn't good. It's like two steps forward, maybe one step back again. But yeah, one thing I'm going to try on my iPad when I get home is vncing into my iMac because if that works good that might be actually an interesting and we're basically done i know we've talked for almost an hour about this and the solution was right in our face no but i mean so shitty no 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 I mean, we're done mouse. here we're done i need a mouse oh <laughs> uh, okay so i think i've um, accumulated enough material here to um edit I, I really hope i don't fuck this up as badly as last time again so- oh, and i need to no, quick time for a rant before we actually wrap this up so for everyone who suffered through our first episode, I had to do a lot of manual stuff in there because there was just insufferable mic bleed between us and I had to isolate all our voice bits again, which is quite painful if you have a hopefully fluent conversation like we, we've we just had. So I tried to use global stretching in Adobe Audition 2018. Is it 19? 19, 19 even. And there's one problem. I, I think that's the cause of it. So when you... Uh, use that stretching, you can make sure that you use like 50% of the original size. You basically just smush everything together. And that means it plays back faster, 
which is super useful if you just want to go quickly through the track. You don't even, like, even you who listens to One X Everything, it's fine if you just want to figure out who's talking right now and then, like, making cuts in there. Oh, yeah, for editing, definitely. Yeah, totally. So I didn't use 50%. I used something like 51.6. And apparently there is some sort of floating point rounding bullshit going on. And then when I was done editing and I stretched back to the original 100%, it was just a teeny tiny bit off in multiple places between the cuts. So that had two consequences. First, there were some gaps between the audio. And because we always have a bit of background noise in our recording here, it would mean there was just complete silence. It sounds really odd. It's like someone sucks the air out of the room and you're sitting in a vacuum. There was absolutely nothing. So I then had to go in and like manually fix all the gaps in between, which took more time than the actual editing before. But even worse, sometimes when both of us were talking, we were just slightly off. And when you're off by just a couple of milliseconds or even microseconds, you can hear this and it creates this really eerie echo effect because our mics are pretty closely together or pretty close together. And when one talks, the other one picks up just a tiny bit. But if this is then played back with a delay of a couple milliseconds, then you have the the feeling as if we were in a massive room where the sound bounces back from 50 meters on the wall behind you. And it sounds really bad. I think we had like maybe five occasions in this left left back in in, in the old podcast. But man, ah, yeah. I mean, always leave something in. You can improve over time. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm still hoping somebody just can build a neural net that fixes this. Yeah, for sure. Also, just it should be so easy to train some classifier on ums and ahs. But I mean, this this is this is a billion dollar startup. The podcast industry is growing <laughs> insanely quickly, and we're recording for an hour and spending four hours editing it. It's insane. This is this is something just like I mean, most people just don't do it. Oh, the, this the, is, the this quality is bar like, is still so low for. Yeah, but like the entry level to making a podcast is being able to spend five hours after you spent like two hundred dollars on equipment. Yeah, the first person who makes this be have studio quality sound recorded from two iPhones, that, that's a billion dollar company. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm still embarrassed to admit how much time I spent on editing because it just doesn't sound that great when yeah. it comes out. I mean, this is like the person who solves this has, has a great company in yeah. front of them. Do you have any red lines when listening to podcasts? So I, like, I like have some things where I just immediately turn off the podcast when, when I hear them. I'm Don't thinking phone calls for me. This is just a a no. Wait, somebody has somebody like call in. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine I, with that. Really? Yeah. Oh god, I hate it so much. It just, I mean, it's 2018. Well, why don't you just call them on fucking Skype or Messenger or Hangouts on your phone? Even then, the voice quality is better than when you use a 2G well, line. I'm sure they tried, and this was the like. No, some of them just don't. It's like. Oh no, we're talking to the director of uh, Creed, so we can't. Sorry, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm singling out uh, the guy, but it's like I don't actually know that this happened. With him, but it's like okay, no, it's some sort of celebrity. We can't possibly expect them to use FaceTime or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's not. I, I have very few like audio things. Like if it's just, I mean, I listen to 
the last acquired episode or whatever that was recorded all on an iPhone. They well, to be fair, they apologized yeah, about yeah, this. They, it was, it was, I like, think something was fucked up with their recording setup. Fuck up, but I still listened to the whole thing and like enjoyed it. Like, would I have enjoyed it more with better audio? Yes, but if it's the exception, that's fine. Yeah, but. If if that's how you conduct your interviews, no, no, no. If it's I'm not time, okay that's with fine. that. If it's a call, like it, it happens, right? But yeah, yeah, I'm still on the. I'm still very like bullish on on podcasts in general, and somebody just has to make this this easier for anybody to get into. Yeah. But frankly, I think I'm still more okay with phone recordings than those who just record a Skype session on their end. And then when the person starts talking again, you have this moment where you can see the, the bandwidth increasing because in, in like the conference calls, the, the one who doesn't talk right now gets like uh, the lowest possible oh, yeah. codec. It's like, come on, you already have mics on every side. Everyone knows how to use their recording software. Just record locally and clap in the beginning to synchronize or whatnot. Oh, but this is, this is like annoying. Yeah, well, but there are also companies who try to solve that exact issue. Like, I think Zencaster is one of them. It's a really nice audio interface. It takes care of audio drift, correcting this individually. It even saves all your recordings in in Dropbox in between. So if you, I don't know, reload your your browser for for any reason, then you don't lose anything in between. But so easy solutions for this. We were making our video for Y Combinator, like, uh, for the application. Yeah. Because me and my co-founder are remote. We need to have a way to film both of us talking to each other on both of our... We spent five fucking hours getting this working, and we never did. We just, like, in the end, had to record our voices on voice memos on our iPhones (laughs) while I had... I was FaceTiming him, FaceTime video, while... But to show myself in a big screen, I also had the Mac photo booth app up at the same time to show my face like this is insane um like skype could show us with both our faces big enough but the skype quality was so shit so we had to use facetime like this whole it was a mess it took five hours to figure out and i still had to piece together and sync the audio manually for an hour after do you listen listen to casey newton's podcast uh, where the game he has this, show? Yeah, this pseudo game show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this one guy pitching the idea of having like a a, a jam session startup yeah, kind of thing, yeah. where you have rooms in larger cities where you could just come together. Yeah. And I don't know, someone brings in their drum set or their guitar, and then you can jam with people remotely. I kind of like this idea. I, I feel like we're still at least like half a decade away there, from having the technology to, be, to do this. There's a ton but. to be done in the space. I don't know. I'm, I'm very focused right now on thinking about the podcast space. So that's call to action. Do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy if anyone else steals this idea and, and builds it. Yeah. All right, um, let's wrap this up. Emil, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at my name, uh, which is long and hard. Okay, we had this last time. I'll yeah. add it to the show notes as well. Yeah, add in your show lander on Twitter. I tweet from time to time. I'm Passy. I try not to tweet as much about politics, but that's kind of inevitable these days. Um, I'm at, at Passy, that's P-A-S-S-Y. And the podcast itself is also on Twitter at... Um, H-M-T-P-O-D? H-M-T-P-O-D. Yes. That's right, H-M-T-P-O-D. Please let us know what you think, what we should shut up about, how to improve our recording quality, all the kind of stuff. We are now available on, I think, all the big podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and 
Not Stitcher, I believe. I, I still don't really like them. I don't know. I've never maybe. heard of them. They, they used to have those mandatory clips you had to include. So in order to be listed on their directory, you had to say Stitcher is the best. Well, now you just said it. Fuck. Uh, yeah, I, I think I Good as time Okay, so we'll time. probably be on Stitcher too. <laughs> no, but that would also downsample your, your stuff and you would sound awful in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I think they're actually okay now. They have a bunch of interesting deals. Seem to be putting a lot of money into Planet Money's on them too. Uh, else there are there are some interesting corporations that have not so maybe maybe they've become they've actually gotten good like mongodb cool well all right give us a rating and follow us in all the places the next time see ya see ya I feel like everyone who actually knows anything about audio engineering will just laugh in my fucking face that I only found out about this now. 